peace be with you. Jesus is risen. Today marks the second Sunday of Eastertide, a season that will last for 50 days. On the 40th day of Eastertide, we will mark the ascension of Jesus to sit at the right hand of God. On the 50th day, Pentecost, we will mark the coming of the Holy Spirit. For 50 days, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, making this season the longest and most significant season of the church calendar. Today, on the second Sunday of Easter, one week since the women found the tomb empty, one week since God raised Jesus from the grave, robbing death of its final word, we find the disciples locked in a room, locked in such a way that their fear is trapped in the room with them. Their fears wear many faces, though we're only given the brief description, the Jews. Of course, this cannot mean all Jews, or the disciples would not be in the room with each other, or maybe even with themselves, because they were all Jews. Their crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus, also a Jew, so we cannot read these words and think that they mean all of the Jews. Their profound fear was of particular Jews. They were afraid that the same people that killed Jesus might try to kill them. This is the same fear that led at least one of them to thrice deny having anything to do with Jesus. Fear. Their fear locked them up as tight as if someone had rolled a stone in front of the door to that room. But one of the disciples wasn't with them. Thomas was not in the room with them. Where, where was Thomas? There is no indication anywhere in the Bible where Thomas might have been that day, only that he was not in the room. When the disciples finally break free from their fear-locked room, they run to Thomas. Maybe like the women ran to Thomas last, or ran to the disciples last week, and they told Thomas that Jesus had appeared to them. And Thomas gives his famous reply that he will not believe until he sees Jesus with his own two eyes, until he touches the marks in Jesus' hand and puts his hand in Jesus' side. For this remark, we all know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. This designation marks Thomas in a negative light for many of us. But if we listen to Brian Stevenson and believe that each of us is more than the worst thing we have ever done, then perhaps we would do well to look a bit closer at Thomas and to think a little bit longer about his words, his life, and his actions. There's remarkably little about Thomas in the New Testament. 
He is in the list of disciples in all four Gospels, and he speaks three times, all of them in the Gospel of John, one of them in today's reading. Before Thomas speaks in today's passage, he had also spoken when Jesus was preparing to go and see about waking up Lazarus. When Jesus told the disciples his intention to return to Judea, Thomas says, well, let us also go that we may die with Jesus. Thomas, so dedicated to Jesus that he could already see that Jesus was going to die. So dedicated to Jesus that he could already see that he would die for his dedication to Jesus. Later, as Jesus tells the disciples that he will be betrayed and foretells that Peter will deny him, Jesus also tells the disciples that he is going to prepare a place for the disciples that they might come to him. And Thomas, sure that he wants to be with Jesus, still strongly dedicated to following him, says, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Perhaps I'm biased here, but I think I agree with Martha Spong that when taken in the context of all we have to look at of, the of Thomas in the Gospel of John, Thomas sounds a bit like an Enneagram 8. Maybe he isn't the doubter that history has made him out to be. It seems rather that he is aggressively loyal and lacks a filter between his brain and his mouth. Let's reconsider today's gospel lesson in this light. The disciples lock themselves in a room with their fear, but Thomas isn't with them. He has already declared that he is ready to die with Jesus. And once you are ready to die, you don't go locking your room in a, yourself in a room because of fear. Fiercely loyal. When Thomas hears the story that Jesus has appeared to those fearful disciples, he says the first thing that comes to his mind, the first thing that any of us might think. But why not me? Fast forward to when Jesus comes to this group again, this time with Thomas present, Jesus immediately presents himself to Thomas with the invitation to touch Jesus' wounds. But there's no mention of Thomas actually doing it. Instead, we get the most powerful statement of faith offered in the entire Gospel of John. Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. But we still have to deal with these last words of Thomas, of Jesus to Thomas. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. These words, written by John near the end of the first century and spoken by Jesus nearly 60 years earlier, have proven to be the great crux and question of countless thinkers and theologians for nearly 2,000 years. How is one to believe? without seeing. Isn't it a blessing when one can? 
This question is no more limited to Christianity than it is to any other field. Believing without seeing is what sets some people apart from others. In the early 1960s, long before any humans had set foot on the moon, John Hubolt dreamed about the most effective way to land a manned spacecraft on the moon and get it back to the Earth safely. An outsider, resolutely dismissed by insiders who had their own ideas of how to get the job done, Hubolt could see his idea coming to fruition with such clarity that he persisted and persisted in pushing his idea until it got a fair consideration. And on July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were headed to the moon, it was his idea that they used to land on the moon. Hubolt was watching from Mission Control in Houston, and while Armstrong and Aldrin were still on the moon, his chief rival in thinking through this process turned to him and said, thank you, John. It is a good idea. Another example, a little closer to the orbit of our lives, consider that on a street corner in downtown Jackson in 1966, five men stood around dreaming of a church where any human could join in the practices of worship and ministry. Fifty-five years later, here we are at the corner of Eastover and Ridgewood. These five men were able to believe without seeing that this church could be the kind of place that could extend the welcome of Christ to any human without consideration for what any other church might do or what the common practices throughout the city and region might be. Their vision ensured that this place would be a place that could promise to children and their parents that they belong to us and we will share in their growth without fear for what that growth or what that promise might require of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. What are the dreams that we have yet to dream? What are the ways of being and doing in the world that we have yet to believe are possible because we have not yet seen them? What are the fields of our faith that remain untilled because we have unhesitatingly chortled that we will not believe until we have been able to put our hands on it and touch it and know it to be true? The community of disciples who first heard these words of Jesus started dreaming. They started dreaming of what shape life must take now that everything had changed. Today's Acts reading sums up some of what their ideas and dreams were. The whole group were of one heart and soul. Everything they owned was held in common. Great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. 
That does sound like a dream. A nearly impossible dream. It may be that this is one of those stories in the Bible that we believe is too impractical to consider for our faith community. This is what I am tempted to think each time I read this story. Sometimes, though, I pause long enough to imagine what shape this might take. I wonder if it might look like the South African idea of Ubuntu, the idea that I am because we are, a community living in such a way that their actions are guided by Ubuntu is a community that resists the idea that each individual should be the best individual possible in the hope of having the best community possible. In Ubuntu thought, it is the community that takes precedence. The whole is considered before the individual. I wonder if this call from Acts might in some way be the best attempt that the disciples could imagine of the year of Jubilee. You will remember, of course, that the year of Jubilee was to occur every 50 years. It was to be a year when all debts were canceled, all slaves set free, all lands returned to their ancestral owners that they might be redistributed. The year of Jubilee featured prominently in the scriptures to which Jesus made reference immediately upon his return from journeying in the wilderness for 40 days. These wanderings of mine, to me, sometimes seem to be an outlandish fiction, the sort I might find on Audible and to which I might listen as I travel between my home and the church. These wanderings seem the sort that I might be able to believe were possible if I could find a good, modern, large-scale example, or there's just no way I can believe that they are possible unless I can see them with my own eyes and experience them in person. And now I sound like I'm doubting. Perhaps I should join Thomas and get my filter examined. When Jesus comes to visit the disciples, the second time. He doesn't chastise them or talk down to them. He invites them to see it's okay to dream that which has not yet been seen. Further, he says that those who have not yet seen and still have believed are blessed. So Northminster, let's dream dreams of the kingdom of God that have not yet been seen. Let's imagine that the world we pray for each week, a world where the will of God reigns on earth as though it were in heaven, let's imagine that world is possible. Let's not lock ourselves inside this building with our fears. For the Savior we follow has defeated death. We are in the season that celebrates the most unimaginable truth of all, that death is not the end. We are people of an incurable hope because of Easter. As we continue this Eastertide celebration for the next six weeks, let's dream. 
Let's not be discouraged by a group of people who see the world differently from us. Let's not stand around on street corners talking. Let's do something. And let's do it together, remembering that when any member of our community suffers, we all suffer. Let's dream jubilee-sized dreams. Let's dream resurrection-sized dreams. And then, Northminster, let's live like death has been defeated. For Jesus has been raised from the grave. Amen.